Regulating a global industry that carries more than 12 billion tons of cargo annually is about much more than just its emissions. And yet, it's the decarbonisation challenge that dominated the past eight years for the International Maritime Organization's Secretary General Kitak Lim. And it will dominate the next eight years for his successor, Arsenio Dominguez. So, as Kitak settles into retirement back in Seoul, the new SG is bracing himself for what promises to be a challenging tenure at the helm of shipping's regulator. The IMO may have pulled off what many thought was politically impossible in 2023, a credible, if unfinished, pathway to decarbonising shipping. But that just makes Arsenio's task clearer, not easier. The power to broker a deal now largely resides among a handful of the IMO's 175 member states. But it's the Secretary-General who has to encourage, cajole, argue, and if necessary, force arguments through any which way he can. The difference between a good and an ineffective Secretary-General is ultimately going to be measured by their ability to secure agreements. And Arsenio has a fearsome set of objectives already set out in his job description. The 2050 aspirational climate goals set out this summer were just about sufficient enough to continue the debate. But the difficult details yet to be decided still have the potential to derail the IMO as an institution. Kitak's approach to get the IMO this far saw him lead a very measured march towards consensus via an amiable belief that stakeholder engagement held the key to unlocking most barriers. Arsenio arguably has the harder task ahead of him, given the politics of climate financing and the seemingly intractable geopolitical positions being agreed well outside of the sphere of the IMO's influence. So, given all that, I thought we should start the year at the top and ask the new SG to set out his stall, talk about what he is going to be doing in his first 100 days. So, I started by asking him, how is he feeling about the challenges that now lie ahead of him? Uh, thank you, Richard. Um, Energised, actually, and really looking forward to it. It's uh, it's it's a great time um, to be the next Secretary General of IMO. I mean, there's so much going on um, for the industry, for the sector, um, so much work that can continue, particularly building up on on the good outcomes from 2023. And I'm making it plural because, yes, a lot of focus has been on, on the GHG 2023 strategy, but the organization is more than that. Um, so, you know, in, in general, looking forward to the challenge with excitement. We we made the point in this year's Lloyd's List Top 100, which incidentally you did feature in alongside uh, Kitak Lim, um, that he has uh, rather secured his legacy, but what he has left for you is is almost the harder bits. Um, I mean, you said yourself, the Secretary General's job is not just about decarbonisation, and yet that is the bit that we see. You have quite a few other things on your agenda. Perhaps, I mean, I could ask you the presidential question to start off with. What, what What's your immediate agenda priorities for your first 100 days? Uh, I can answer that in two parts. Um, the first one, or one part, for example, is the support of the work of the member states. Um, and immediately continue uh, the outcome from July last year, if we go into the green agenda, in order to materialize um, the work that has to be put in place in order to support the member states' decision um, for the next few meetings of the Marine Environmental Protection Committee. If you move away from the green agenda, uh, when it comes to GHE, we also have the implementation of the maritime single window, and there's further support that we need to give to, to member states, in particular developing countries. Then you have the work that we need to 
increase when it comes to the human element with the revision of the uh, convention of, of training, certification and watchkeeping of seafarers, but also to pick up again on all the learnings from the COVID pandemic, the negative effect that it has on the seafarers, and of course the geopolitical situations that also um, continues to demonstrate the negative effect on seafarers. And that's further work that the organization needs to do there. Um, and then is the, the the broader agenda of the organization in relation to other UN agencies. We have the plastic agreement, the global plastic agreement, where the organization has information and experience that can provide uh, this, this the security aspects taking into account the, the situation of the world right now. You have the safety aspects. Of course, we could always increase on the safety aspects of the the the, uh, the ships, and not just the operational side. It's the safety aspects uh, in relation to the green agenda, the renewable fuels, the, the new technologies, the new type of vessels that we're expecting. So that actually just gives you a little bit of a flavor of all the support that the member states will need and will receive from my side and from all the staff when it comes to the regulatory process. When it comes to the organization itself, um, and it's more on internal sites in looking at improving the processes and procedures, becoming more transparent, uh, listening to the, the outside world, in particular the, the new generation, an organization that is more flexible, more diverse, more inclusive. And for me, is taking all those decisions internally at the staff level and then showcasing that to the membership and to the outside world in order to lead by example. And I think this is a really important point that unless you are actually, you know, inside the IMO or you're at least inside the IMO on a regular enough basis to understand what the schedule is. There is a fearsome schedule of meetings that are well beyond the headlines that we see in the news coverage. Uh, you know, the, the schedule of the IMO goes over an entire year and you are never getting to all of the agenda points. So although we see decarbonization and its, uh, you know, regulatory process as a as a news item, what we miss in that is all of the other things that are going on underneath the system. So, I mean, I guess, I guess the question is, you know, that's that's your immediate priorities, and, and familiar listeners listening to your your campaign will note that you know there's a lot of things on your agenda there. But you've got you've got four years in your initial term. I am assuming you're hoping to go for an eight year term. Give us a flavor of what you want to achieve by the end of your term. Uh, what, what do you want your – it's a bit early to be thinking about legacy, but you know, you've know you got a, a relatively short agenda here. What do you want to do with this? Well, let, let's start with, with uh, one of the main comments that you made there. And yes, um, it, it's taking the opportunities of what the Green Agenda has done to the organization. It has put us on the map. But as you rightly said, uh, there's a lot more work that goes there. But since we've been showcasing more and more, for me, it's important to take that as a positive and then use it for all the areas of the organization. So IMO is actually better known. So IMO is actually in everyone's minds when we actually talk about shipping with the sector. Um, let's talk about the first four years. Uh, that will take me to 2027. And if you look at it, the first thing is by then we will be implementing the mid-term measures for the, um, the 2023 GSG strategy. Uh, we will be getting to the close uh, of uh, the implementation of uh, the decisions on autonomous ships. But on the broader perspective, it's an organization that is recognized as more open and transparent, more flexible, that adapts, that is better known, that can cooperate. So organization that is ready for the future, for the new challenges, the new generations, that we can react quicker. And I know that we have processes and procedures in place for the member states, and that also goes in line you know, with international law of the treaties and how you know, long it takes to actually get this agreement. But the same thing is 
you know, bringing the, the, the support to the membership, change the way that we provide technical cooperation to be more measurable, more tangible. So we focus on the results and we can then tailor made those kind of activities in order to leave the mark of how the organization is evolving and progressing. I've said it before, I'm not afraid of change. And for me, change is good because it allows us to measure ourselves and to shake up the things where they actually need to in order to get the results. That's the plan. Uh, and it's, it's a solid plan. But what are the risks to you not achieving what you want to do here? Because you are beholden to a number of exogenous forces here. Uh, just because you have set out an agenda and a, and a time frame of things you want to do, you are beholden to so many other factors here. So what are the biggest risks in your view going into this that you want to be aware of? I'll start with the positive. There will always be risks. And for us is, again, in this, in this transition, to be an organization that can adapt to those risks and respond to them. I'm a very optimistic and positive person. I keep saying that and I will not get tired of doing it because it's the way that I approach everything. There will be external factors, there will be risks. And if I go back just a few years ago, how the COVID pandemic started to affect the work of the organization, we adapted, we moved forward, we continue to make decisions and make progress, not at the same pace because there were extra limitations, but we didn't stagnate it. So for me, it's more that looking at those, any risks that can come up to have an organization that is prepared to face them, that we continue to work together with the membership, with the, all the stakeholders in order to address them. If you ask me directly for a risk, it's the external factors, the ones that are outside the control of the organization. But that happens all the time into every sector any industry. So it's again, let's focus on how the organization can quickly prepare with the, with the staff that we have here, with the professional staff, with the, 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 the support in, in keeping that unison between the member states in order to address all the challenges when they arrive. I, I hate to be the one that sort of, you know, focuses outside the IMO because, as you say, you know, it's important what you can control inside. But uh, th the reality is that the, you know, the fact that the IMO agrees on anything as 100 and, uh, you know, 75 member states agreeing on, on, on anything is a minor diplomatic miracle at the best of times. But uh, you have a number of uh, forces acting upon you. So I'm going to put it bluntly. Are you going to be the Secretary General that sees the IMO's climate targets align with the Paris Agreement and with the EU? We're a global organization for a global sector. So my expectations and my objectives is that we will continue to strive for global regulations and global sectors and not to move in lines with regional or national decisions because that is not helpful for the industry. So the you, you put it bluntly and you put the EU. The EU has made some decisions, but the same member states of the, U, the, the, the European Union are member states of the organization. And for me, it's how we um, meet the goals and the objectives that we set in order to bring all the parties together. And I will be having the continuous conversations with the EU and with any other parties, any other member states as well, in order to continue to focus on the global regulations. And it's also important to actually address the great progress that this organization has made with implementation of the GSE 2023 strategy, sorry, the adoption and moving into the implementation, the target for 2030, 2040 and the decarbonization by around 2050. That has put us at the forefront of almost all the sectors. And that was very palpable and tangible during the last COP uh, in, in Dubai just a couple of weeks ago. So it's better to actually start recognizing the great effort that you said that 175 member states continue to make in a unanimous decision towards greening the industry, how the concerns of all those member states are 
are actually tackled and addressed as well. And from my side, I will continue to strive to the global relations and I will take that message everywhere I go. As you point out, I mean, the IMO, to some extent, has moved from a perceived laggard to a leader in some respects. And I would argue that the agreement to set uh, much more uh, ambitious targets towards 2050 and with 2030 and 2040 checkpoints along the way, actually, the IMO caught a lot of the industry off guard. And many of those people who spent the first half of the year telling me that they needed the IMO to move further and faster and only then with a decent demand signal could we move ahead are the same ones that are now saying we're not sure we can meet the 2030 targets or the 2040 targets lois list ran a, a survey amongst its readership and there's a worrying amount of our readers are firmly of the belief that 2030 and 2040 are now no longer achievable a worrying amount are still yet uh, not sure that 2050 is achievable so i mean do you think that the imo is going to be able to take everybody else along with it uh, on its ambitious pathway well, we, we, decarbonization is not something that the organization and the sector can do on its own. That's that's very well recognized and accepted. And of course, there's further work that we need to do, and, and it's one of my my um, objectives as well, in engaging more with other sectors and with the United Nations as well. Um, COP made a very good decision in the progress of transitioning away from fossil fuels. That in itself helps the goals set by the organization. This is a transition. We need to look into... Um, you know, the alternative fuels that are developed, the technologies that actually will be there to support this transition, the support that the member states will need. And this is where the decision of the member states to also work on a pricing mechanism to support the industry are relevant. Um, from my side, it's also whenever we move towards um, technical cooperation, towards engaging with others, it's not just speaking to the shipping sector, it's speaking to the environmental entities in different countries, the energy sector, the role that they play for us to do this, um, port sector, shipbuilding. So this is, again, bringing all those parties together. It's going to be a busy period, but I'm actually looking forward to that because it allows us to explain further what the IMO is, what the IMO is intended to achieve and how we are actually progressing and what other sectors can actually contribute for us to meet um, our targets and, and, and you know to become sustainable and support other sectors that also have the same objectives and also need to become uh, uh, sustainable and greener i mean you, you were out in cop uh you know do you, do you think that the imo now has finally achieved that visibility it's been craving for a while um you know when you go out and you're talking amidst the united nations framework convention you are I would argue you have been in the past as, a, as a, an industry body somewhat lost amid much bigger, uh, more widely recognized um, conversations. Shipping now has visibility, it has a platform out there. It is part and parcel of that conversation between energy ministers uh, that are then coming back to the IMO. It seems to be much more ingrained within that process. That's a positive, but it comes with risks as well. Do you, Generally speaking, how, how do you see the conversation in terms of its holistic nature at the moment it's it's a lot more positive than it was before i think uh let, let me uh, what is it that you said that uh, we were craving for that uh, uh probably um attention and, and i like the fact that you put it that way because i don't think that the the, the industry had that image in the past and 
we were quite insular as well. It was all kept with, within the shipping industry. But uh, things have changed, and with social media and with all these external factors, COVID put us in the map. The situations, uh, the, the geopolitical situations are putting us in the map as well because it has a negative effect on trade, which, of course, that goes to the end users, which is also you and I. Um, and it's taking that opportunity. Highlight what IMO is. Um, we did it at COP. We will continue to do it in other in other entities. We're doing it with the United Nations uh, Environmental Agency when it comes to plastics. We did it with the um, the BBNJ agreement, uh, beyond national uh, biodiversity beyond national jurisdiction. And again, is that understanding of who IMO is, what the shipping sector is, and what else we can support? So it's using your people like you, your expertise as well, um, and everyone in the industry to be more outgoing, to be more out there. Not all the the um, the um, the headlines are always going to be positive, but for me, it's how we take those headlines, how we learn from it, how we better change our message if it's actually not getting across. Um, how we learn from from that the things that probably we didn't do that we could do and how we can do them, and at the same time continue to highlight the importance of shipping, how relevant we are, and how much support we need to meet a global agenda. I'm interested to know your your uh, takeaways from COP, but specifically, I'm interested to note that you were increasingly mentioning carbon capture in a couple of your speeches out there, as was John Kerry, uh, the uh, US envoy for climate. Uh, he's a lot more skeptical than most um, in terms of CCS technology and its readiness to actually uh, be scaled at a at a rate that is being assumed by many. Uh, he's even accused it of being a, a pretext for business as usual um, because it's just not there in a, in a tangible format. I mean, how do how do you uh, see that that carbon capture element? Is that increasingly part of the IMO's plan? Do you think? Uh, it is on the agenda. It, it's been for a couple of sessions, but as you mentioned earlier, and we have a hectic agenda and a number of, of tasks to actually uh, move forward. Um, <coughs> apologies. Uh, it, it, it remains there. And of course, there's more development and there's more information that arrives. Uh, we shouldn't close the doors to, to the opportunities that are there. We discussed already how shipping cannot decarbonize on its own and it depends on, on alternative fuels and technologies. So if the technology is developed, it can be uh, scaled up and can support in a sustainable manner this transition, why not? It's important that it's, it is an option, it's an opportunity without being detrimental to the end goals of the organization. It's the same thing that we were saying about the renewable fuels. We need to look into how to handle those fuels, the safety aspects, the training. Um, and of course, we don't close the doors. The organization already made the decision that we're going to be fuel agnostic and technology agnostic in order to also accept all the challenges, but the objectives that we have to decarbonize. Okay. Um, let's turn the focus back on you, if you don't mind. I mean, the the role of the Secretary General, um, it's it's an interesting one. Uh, you are part diplomat, part um, bureaucrat, part technical expert. You have to uh, do a lot of different things, and a lot depends on your style of leadership. And it, you're cajoling those 175 member states into agreeing anything is, a, as I say, a minor diplomatic miracle at the best of times. Your predecessors have had very distinct styles. I, I heard it described that um, the shift from uh, Secretary General Metropolis to uh, Secretary General Sekimitsu was was one from 
uh, a Napoleonic leadership style to a Confucian one. Now, uh, Kitak uh, Lim, your your uh, predecessor, he was very much of the opinion that getting people in a room together, um, you know, discussing the problems, he could come to a solution. And he was, you know, inclusive in, in some of those roles. Very amiable, very lovely guy, very highly respected. Give us an, a flavor of, of, of where you want to take this. What do you think? How would you describe your leadership style? What are you going to be doing that's different? How, how is the IMO going to feel, do you think, under your leadership? Uh, we're all different, as you said. There's different people, different challenges every time, different cultures, different characters. Um, and for me, it's learning from all the experience that I've had from being a delegate, from chairing meetings, like the Marine Environmental Protection Committee, in order to bring the parties together. Um, I lead by example. Uh, and that's that's the first thing that I take. And it's always looking forward with positivism in how we can achieve things, but at the same time, addressing and listening to the concerns, not just put into one side, but it's what we can actually do with those concerns. Going to be very open and transparent, very welcoming, which is my style. And of course, decisive when it's necessary. The position of Secretary General is a very influential one, and it's an important and relevant. But it's about listening, understanding, and working with all the member states at the same time that we listen to, to all the stakeholders that have a say, that have an opinion to express that is going to make, make our work better and actually improve as a whole. I mean, you say the uh, the Secretary General is an influential one. Um, when when things go right, it's down to the member states and their ability to make an agreement. When things go wrong, it's very much pinned on you. Um, I mean, how much how much influence does the Secretary General genuinely have, in your view? The <coughs> apologies for that. Um, I have no I have no problem with actually uh, situations where. Uh, the the responsibility or, or whatever comment is going to be pinned on me. It's it's. It's the role that I have to play as long as I keep the membership together and that we will continue to work and make progress. And I will understand all the concerns from the membership as well as we keeping the same objectives. I have no problem in being uh, the sponge, the one that actually then takes all the criticism uh, in order not to distract the work that we carried out. For me, that is important. That's when I say that it is a key role that is very influential, but it's the one that also can maintain everyone together. We were moving forward, and I'm ready for that. It's 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 actually one of the things that drives me because it means that I can continue to maintain the organization, making the progress that is required. The secretary general doesn't have a vote, doesn't make a decision, but it's the person that is going to bring the parties together, that is going to open up, um, to express opinions. To and, and this is what I would always said. I have no problem expressing expressing an opinion or making a recommendation as long as that keeps the exchange of, of uh, ideas flowing and addressing uh, the, the challenges that we have ahead. Not everything is going to be accepted, and I'm also absolutely fine with that. But it's keeping that interaction, it's keeping everything flowing and moving that is going to allow us to you know move forward. Wonderful. Secretary General, thank you for joining the podcast. I hope it's the first of many appearances. I'm looking forward to many more, Richard, and thank you very much for the opportunity. And that is where we will leave it for the first podcast of 2024. Uh, apologies for the slightly croaky tone. Uh, I'm afraid I was suffering from COVID at the point of recording. We are going to be getting back into the swing of a more regular podcast schedule after our festive hiatus. And of course, we look forward to all of your feedback, comments and suggestions of topics that you want covered. You can reach me via all the usual channels on LinkedIn, occasionally on X if I'm being brave, but always on email, uh, richard.mead at lloydslistintelligence.com. 
And please note that if you're still trying to reach me on richard.mead at informer.com, it is increasingly likely that your emails will not get through. So please update your address books. It's richard.mead, that's M-E-A-D-E, at lloydslistintelligence.com. Thank you for listening and Happy New Year.